All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Media Gel podcast, where we cover the latest marketing trends and strategies that are most effective in growing your cannabis dispensary, delivery service, or brand. Media Gel connects brands and retailers with cannabis consumers through our ad network of mainstream publishers, mobile apps, games, and TV. We help companies advertise through paid search, SEO, and programmatic display advertising to drive e-commerce sales. I am your host, Guillermo Bravo. Today we'll be discussing life beyond cookies, how to increase ad personalization with cannabis consumer identity graphs. And I'm super excited to introduce Dana Sova, who is the CTO here at MediaGel. He brings a breadth of experience and over 15 years of engineering uh, experience to today's podcast. Welcome to the show, Dana. Thanks, Guillermo. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. Happy to have you. Well, let's uh, let's kick it off with uh, the big tech companies. You know, why are Apple and Google going away with cookies? Well, th- there's a lot of reasons, right, for that, and and some of it is choice, but it it it's it's the way of the world, right? Yeah. Like people don't want their privacy to be invaded, and most of the reasons why has to do with that um, deterministic identifiers can cause um, people to violate privacy practices and you can build really rich profiles and, and you know, that's not um, allowed. Um, and also they're the big companies are in a position where they have so much first party data for them to do away with cookie based tracking w- will affect them uh, not nearly as much as small companies like ourselves or other companies out there marketing um, because they have so much first party data under the hood. They don't necessarily need the cookie um, as much as say somebody like us, you know, that operates on the open web, um, you know, without, without as much PII data uh, under the hood. Um, I probably can't speak to all of the reasons that um, the different companies are going to do away with cookies, but I think mostly it's to do with privacy concerns, yeah. being compliant, and, and all of the things that we all need to do as good marketing companies to um, to, to be ethical. Yeah, exactly. And with the you know all the things that occurred with the uh, the last election, and you know all these things that went on with Facebook, there was definitely like a crackdown after that of you know how people can use data, and, and you know Facebook took a multi billion dollar hit from. Uh, <laughs> from, uh, you know, Apple limiting uh, the, their ability to track through uh, across uh, across devices and apps. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, you know, data and privacy is top of mind for everyone. And, you know, um, you know there's alternatives and we're going to go a little deeper into that. Uh, you know, what are the limitations as far as like a cookie-based tracking uh, platform? Yeah, and, th- and that's something that a lot of people don't understand I- in general. Like cookies are not the end-all, be-all of tracking, um, and, they- and they haven't been for a long time, right? Um, one of the things I-, I could say is that in the beginning, cookies are very old, right? Yeah. The-, the idea of cookies was inv- invented in the mid-90s, you know, really web one um, mm-hmm. sort of landscape. Um, and at that time, the situation was really the use case was, person used a computer, probably on a desktop, 
yeah. use the same browser for almost everything. That was also during the time of the browser wars and things like that. So in that ecosystem, the cookie was amazing, right? Because it's a deterministic identifier given to you in your browser, and then you can be tracked third party as you move across the internet, right? With these 30 par third party cookies. Um, well, without it even going away or without the compliance things, there's a lot wrong with that to, in today's landscape, right? Yeah. Nobody really uses the internet that way anymore. People have many devices, whether you have a bunch of phones or connected TVs or what. Um, cookie is kind of like saying browser in many ways, you know, that they're, you've made an assumption that they're going to use the same browser and make, you know, for us, use the same browser to see an impression and same browser to make a purchase. Um, that's not necessarily how people really do things anymore. People probably see ads in, in apps, right? Um, where there is no browser. Like if you're using Candy Crush on your phone and you see an advertisement, there's no browser and no cookie to even be accepted, right? So in that situation, the cookies already don't, don't work, right? They, 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 they don't get you anywhere. Um, so it's still effective for like web to web, right? When they're not blocked um, for that specific use case. Um, but then any, anytime cross device happens, anything in app happens. Um, and, and then also, we're also seeing a world where people are starting to use different clients for different situations, right? Not everybody uses the same browser for everything. Uh, there's other browsers coming online like Brave and things like that that also block uh, things like that. So um, yes, they're going away. Yes, it will have impact, but there are already many situations and use cases that have arisen in the last decade, 15 years where they already were not adequate to track everything that you'd want to track to show attribution, show value with advertising and all of the challenges that marketers face. Exactly. And it's really, it's really this thing that changed, uh, you know, the change. 100%. Thing, 100%. Right? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> uh, and, you know, really phones are extension of ourselves at this point. And, you know, we keep it in our pocket all the time where, you know, we may have our location services on all the time. We're actively searching on, platforms are actively playing games we're always on the move we're ordering food delivered to this you know to our place we're going out finding restaurants on on google like it's it's endless and it's uh it's always evolving uh it's it's really like you know the uh the emergence of the of smartphones and then also social media just completely changed the landscape and you know especially google too like uh, i mean these are some of the most valuable companies in the world because you know data is king and you know we all know now that data is more valuable than oil i mean for maybe not right now because oil prices are so high but <laughs> yeah it's pretty hard to fill up the tank these days uh, that's for sure exactly exactly uh so how do we move forward without cookies and how do we overcome the the limitations that we've discussed previously well, that's a loaded question. And there are many different techniques to solve that. What I can do is speak to how we do it at MediaGel okay. and, and specifically some of, some of the ways we tackle that problem from the beginning um, for display advertising, not necessarily for paid search and SEO, but for our display advertising product, we were always faced with the challenge um, that, that I just mentioned, right? Is how do you make the connection between app traffic to purchase behavior. And just to elaborate, in general, 
um, we, when we target campaigns um, as MediaGel, we target a lot of mobile, mobile users, right? A lot of the ways we build audiences um, enables us to actually target by device ID with our DSP partners. Um, and because of that, we have all of these impressions showing up in apps, right? Um, and there's not a deterministic way to get from the app to the cart. Traditionally, or at this stage anyways, there are very few cannabis companies um, that will allow you to complete the purchase in app. There's a few of them coming online, but in general, things are still done over the web for carts like Dutchie and Jane and all the big ones out there. They're, they're web apps, so you're receiving web traffic, right? So we collect data on both ends of these experiences, but how do we tie the data together, right? Um, we use probabilistic techniques um, similar to the way many identity graph companies uh, work, where we'll use things that come natively from the TCPIP and HTTP pr protocol that are very difficult to block or stop, right? They don't have the deterministic advantages, but if you do things correctly, you can get very highly probabilistic results. So we're able to use identifiers like combinations of things like user agent, IP address, um, for those unfamiliar about what a user agent is, yeah. is it's really a string that contains um, as much information about your connection over the HTTP protocol that can be recorded. So it'll, re it'll record things like um, the device you're using, the device type, it also includes browser information in there, right? But it has quite a lot of rich data um, and then when combined with another identifier like IP, it, it's quite it's quite accurate. It, it, it's you know reasonably um, highly probabilistic and, and something we can use to make that jump from the web traffic to the mobile traffic, right? Um, so that's one of the ways is using probabilistic te techniques like that. And then after you have some matches um, and an identifier that, that's making the match, and you can get to something that exists in an identity graph. Um, and before we get into exactly what an identity graph is, is an identity graph is limited in the amount of identifiers that you can use to, to match inside of it. We use a partner that we primarily match with device IDs and mates in the graph. So we somehow need to make a jump to get to either a device ID or a maid or a cookie that is one of our partner cookies because um, all of the DSPs have like a cookie sync that goes with these identity graphs. And maybe we got a little too into the weeds or made things a little too complicated there. But really, the, the two answers to your question are we use a variety of probabilistic techniques um, with our own data and our own proprietary data sets. And in addition, we use an identity graph to, to get better reach for attribution and targeting. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, uh, you know, quite a, it's definitely above my pay grade. I'm not a, I'm not an engineer on my front, but you know, it's, uh, I know the, the data points that come in and I know, uh, you know, I've learned how, you know, we connect these impressions to, to devices and to transactions. And it's, uh, it's quite impressive. Uh, you know, all the things that you've uh, really led and, um, you know, on the innovation front for media gel so kudos to you and, and everything that uh that you've built uh and, and managed this far and you know what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of using you know this probabilistic uh model well 
the word probabilistic are the disadvantages, right? Um, yeah. Like the, the fact is it's not 100% accurate. As such, there's always going to be some amount of false positives that come from these techniques, right? Um, and those are really, I would say, the, the main disadvantages. Now, we do lots of things under the hood to, to mitigate that and to, you know, uh, cause it so we have higher accuracy. Like one of the things we do is we filter out IPs that are known hotspots, right? Uh, yeah. By monitoring things like frequency, um, the amount of signal we're getting. It's unlikely, you know, to see more than X amount of times over a certain amount of time, you know, coming off an IP address. And we discard all of that information, right? To rule out false positives as best we can. But there's the situation, there, there are situations where we just cannot eliminate them 100%, right? <laughs> like, the fact is, you know, maybe you're sitting at a Starbucks, we send you an ad um, and the person beside you buys because they're behind the same router. Somehow we didn't filter it out as a hotspot. Probably a Starbucks is a bad example because it would have been filtered out, but some sort of situation, maybe an office or something where there's different people that aren't connected in any way, maybe, you know, closed doors right next to each other, heading through the same router. It leads to things like false positives, right? So we're always trying to improve those techniques. Um, and, and we've done quite a good job. Like we always, um, whenever possible, try to match the IP with something else. Mm -hmm. Lots of times we'll pull the user agent apart um, and pull out the device information. So it's not client specific. So we can match device to IP. If we can match the entire user agent, it's similar to the cookie match that we've matched the client, the browser, the device, and the IP for a match. Um, but the fact is, it'll never be completely free of false positives, right? So those are the disadvantages, in my opinion. And the advantages is that using these probabilistic techniques, um, I don't want to say that they're for sure here to stay, but most of the techniques being used in the world right now to either block cookies or, you know, have uh, uh, increased privacy protection and things like that. They're all done through software and right? things that are higher up on the application level than things that happen um, right on the TCP IP or HTTP protocol layer. And th like, that's how the internet works, right? So to get rid of all of those identifiers will be very challenging, if not impossible, right? I mean, and I don't like to say words like that because of course it's software and anything is of course possible. And we'll see more and more movement in the future towards you know, blocking some of those identifiers and things like that. But in the meantime, um, it, it's pretty solid and probably a, something you can stand on for a long time. It doesn't mean that we aren't still pursuing more deterministic solutions and deterministic results, but um, we'll probably use that to some capacity you know, as long as it's working for us. Yeah, let's uh, thank you for the clarification on that and and really, you know, what's special and uh, unique about that probabilistic, uh, you know, these probabilistic techniques. Uh, as far like before we continue, can you define some of these uh, keywords that you've used just for our audience? Um, IDFAs, maids, DSPs, like what do these mean? Sure. Um, we'll start with IDFAs and maids. They're the same word. Um, they just it's the hardware identifier ID that identifies a phone or a mobile device. Okay. Um, and I mean, they're not exactly the same words. Uh, IDFA is Apple made is Google. 
Um, and then, you know, they have other um, I identifiers that are like, uh, they they've also taken some other steps to make other like hardware style identifiers that aren't actually the hardware ID. It's more of like, you know, the, the maid is an example of that, like an advertiser ID that masks the actual ID, but essentially we're talking about hardware IDs. So for, yeah. for the, for those two things. So uh, probably for the purpose of this conversation, we can interchange them and consider that the, them the same thing, the ID of the device itself. Um, then the other one that you asked was a DSP. Um, that's a demand side platform. So really common term in the advertising space. It's um, a platform that has a bidder that can serve ads on the programmatic exchange. We're partnered with many DSP partners. Um, some we of course like better than others. Um, but you know, we, uh, we use our partners, uh, uh, we use our partners technology to actually execute the purchasing and bidding of all of the ads we serve and program. Um, I, th I think you had some other ones too, uh, but those are, those are the ones I caught. Nice, is there any other terms that you like to define, you know, for our audience just so they're, you know, kind of up to speed on all the, the latest uh, kind of marketing lingo as it relates to, to programmatic and, and data and identity graphs? Um, I'm not sure if there's anything to define. One thing I would like to, be clear though is about what the cookie is. It's okay. a really popular topic, right? We all hear about these cookies and things like that. But I, I, I do want to be clear about, about one thing is that um, a cookie is, uh, it, it's, it's called a UUID, but it, it's really just a unique ID, right? Yeah. Um, and the cookie that we're talking about specifically is a third party cookie, okay? Yeah. So, there's first party cookies and there's third party cookies. We aren't, I mean, maybe there's some action going on, but in general, the big news is not about doing away with first party cookies. It's not about doing away with data cookie syncs with you know, identity partners and things like that. It really has to do with the third party cookie, which is 100%. the big difference is, is that you can have software that sits on site. Like we have a tracker that will actually sit on our client's websites and that gives a first party cookie, right? And that is probably not, not, not going away soon. Uh, but then our collector itself, the collector that you know, sits on the cloud, that's where we would give a third party cookie and that's what is going to be impacted. Okay, um, great to know, great to know. Yeah, I mean, first party data is you know, something that um, was, you know, we're here at the Cannabis Marketing Summit in Denver and it was definitely a hot you know, topic of discussion and how to, to collect, uh, to curate and activate that data on the first party side from, you know, whether it's point of sale, e-commerce, CRM, like there's all these different places that you can uh, gather data and uh, you can activate it as well through a lot of these platforms, including programmatic advertising and um, email and SMS messages and retargeting. So it's, um, there's a lot of ways that you can, you can leverage this data. And there's also third party, you know, uh, data sources like uh, new frontier data or a headset or some of these other platforms. Uh, so it was definitely a, a big topic of discussion here. Uh, you know, all, all marketers are talking about it and, you know, privacy as well and how to reach these different audiences. So it's, uh, it's definitely, um, <clears throat> It's you know, definitely a major priority uh, for marketers, especially when we're trying to maximize our 
our marketing budget, especially with the looming, you know, recession and everything kind of going on right now. So um, thank you for, for clarifying all that. Um, well, let's dive in deep into the identity graph. Like what is an identity graph, Dana? Sure. Um, and once again, there's a few different versions of these things out there, right? But um, what we use is something that's called a snowflake graph, which is engineering terminology, but it really means that it's a graph that has spokes. Um, the way the data is structured uh, has like, almost like if you imagine it visualized like snowflake looking spokes. So it's the idea that one ID will connect to many different IDs, right? So, so the idea is cross device, right? Where, where, what, what, what the goal is, is to take somebody like yourself. And if we know your device ID of your phone, we can use that to know the device ID of say your other phones, maybe your tablet. Um, maybe we'll know about your wife or your child's phone um, through uh, like a household match. Um, but any, any devices that we can associate, in, in general, device uh, identity graphs have two ways of clustering the data, by individual um, or by household, right? So, and, and they both have their use cases that, that we can use, but that's the idea. The idea is to have a graph that if you have one ID that's a match on a user, you can get the other IDs associated with them individually, as well as them with their household. Right. Great, and you know, like, what are the pros and cons of building, you know, this identity graph database that you're talking about? Well, um, the cons uh, all have to do with software and engineering complexity. These okay. uh, these identity graphs. Um, uh, well, MediaGel has kind of two approaches to the identity graph. We have uh, our our own data that we've graphed um, to achieve as much results as we can. However, we are not the largest company in the world. We're not quite <laughs> as big as Google today, um, right? Um, so so, so it, it's limited. However, it, it is useful um, and we're able to do some interesting things with it. But then we have a partner um, that we, you know, we purchase identity an, an identity graph from um, and that's where some of the complexity lies in. Um, the identity graph we purchased from our partner is a few billion records. <laughs> they generate it every six weeks. Um, to build it fresh, um, that's part of the, the that's part of doing probabilistic results. Is that over time, right? IPs change, different probabilistic identifiers fall apart. Um, so it's important to to keep these data sets fresh. Um, so unfortunately, for as an engineering problem, there's no way to like incrementally efficiently load this data into your data warehouse. Like we can't load it all up until today then get tomorrow's data and, you know, and, and so, so on and so forth. So it's always this massive processing effort that happens every week when we get the new graph to put it into our data warehouse, right? And, you know, we built the job, it runs quite smooth today, but there were many hours logged to get okay. to that point. Um, it costs money to process data. Um, and then after you get it into something like a data warehouse, then, you know, there's, yet more code that needs to be written to analyze it and look at it and things like that. So I would say most of the cons have to just deal, you know, have to do with like normal big data problems. You know, when yeah. you're dealing with really large data sets, there's overhead, there's talent that needs to, uh, you know, work for you to, to do the work. Um, and then of course, um, 
uh, and, and I, would say, I would say that's the majority of, of the cons, right? Um, you don't necessarily have to house it yourself, right? Or, or do it your own, like we do. You could use a partner's graph out of, out of the box, right? And some partners have, you know, APIs and things like that associated with it. But what you miss out on is you miss out on the ability to augment or add your own data to the graph, right? And that's part of the reason why we do ingest uh, our, our partner's graph. We bring it into our data warehouse. We're able to augment it against our own data and our own identity graph. Um, and then in addition, what we've been able to achieve is just like the demand side platforms maintain a sync with these identity companies, so do we with the media ID. And we maintain two syncs. Um, we of course use our third party cookie to make a sync with the data. Um, it's not gone yet and it does still work to some capacity. However, it becomes less effective all the time. Um, and its match rate does drop as you know, cookies continue to be blocked. Um, you know, going forward. But then we also have tried um, syncing in real time some other probabilistic identifiers that we'll probably keep on experimenting with to uh, have the best sync with our data, with our identity partner possible. Right now we sync something called, we call it the MJ hash, which is a hashed identifier, but under the hood, it is the user agent and IP address like we spoke of uh, you know, earlier for probabilistic techniques. We'll probably be introducing a um, device plus IP version of that identifier in the near future, um, but likely um, we'll stick with that. Like, you know, the idea of syncing in real time with the identity partner, keeping our data in check. Um, and although there's also great advantages to that, there's once again, overhead that goes with an effort yeah. like that, right? So I would say that like most of the, like all of the pros are all the things you expect the ability to um, increase scale on audiences to improve attribution to get better results to have deeper insight and analytics into the customer journey um, and i would say that all of the cons just have to do with the engineering overhead that it takes to yeah. achieve such such results right yeah, we need a we need you need a top tier engineer like yourself, right, to to manage something like this and create your own uh, identity graph. So it could be a, quite an undertaking and, uh, and an investment, right, and a lot of time. Um, well, we've got a great team. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? I mean, like, uh, uh, and and it would be difficult to to maintain this technology without without that team. Yeah. yeah. And as far as a, a component of, you know, building identity graph, what is identity stitching? Identity stitching is really just what we were talking about before, okay. um, bringing together different data sets um, in a way that is in line with how your identity graph works mm -hmm. um, to connect the different spokes. Like when I was talking about how we connect our data to the identity graph, that would be an example of identity stitching. Um, we have other partners that we're talking to about bringing in yet more data to augment the data um, further, right? We can bring in e-commerce data, um, but at the end of the day, to target and to show value with your advertising, you need that identity component on all of your data, right? To show who we think it was or which device we think it was that made the purchase, you know, repeated the purchase, bought you know, gummies from a cart as opposed to something else and, and all of those things. Without identity stitching, um, there isn't really anything actionable that can yeah. come out of that analysis, right? So, What about device clusters? 
Yeah, and we touched on this before as well. Okay. But the idea of device clusters is that there's, uh, we'll just repeat it quickly, is that there's really two ways. There's the household clustering and the individual clustering. And for MediaGel, um, because of the space we operate in, we are able to use different techniques for different things. Like, for example, the household clustering, we can't use for targeting. Right, we, we market products that are age restricted and restricted for other reasons. And we could never take the chance on accidentally sending it, an ad to somebody in a household that was say under 18 or somebody's child or something like that, right? Um, so we're not able to use the household cluster at all for targeting, um, for, for, for that spoke from the identity graph. However, we can use it for attribution, right? Like if we you know, see somebody purchase something, the whole ID verification has already been handled with the credit card and the, and the site and everything. Like everything's compliant. You know, somebody of age did make the purchase, and if then we use the household spoke and we can't get a match on the individual, and we can find something in the graph that's maybe I don't know. Um, maybe it's still you. Maybe it's your wife or husband or somebody else that made the purchase, but. It's 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 still a reasonably good match, right? We matched somebody in the household, and, and it still still could be you. Um, but but that's one of the ways that we're limited by the household spoke, and of course the individual spoke. We can use that to enhance audiences, expand reach, scale our targeting, you know, more than, than we're already doing through other techniques. Um, and then of course we can use that for attribution as well. But those are the two uh, ways that people cluster IDs. Got it. And then as far as you, know, you touched on attribution a few times, can you dive in a little deeper on that and like what retailers and brands are expecting on the advertiser side as far as attribution and, um, you know, KPIs? Um, as far as the numbers uh, about what, what matters, what, num yeah. <laughs> what numbers people are actually um, yeah. expecting. I know it does vary. And truthfully, somebody from our ops team would be a much better person to, um, answer questions like that through the day-to-day. The -day. Um, I could elaborate on the attribution techniques yeah. we use and some of the things we do. So at MediaGel, we have, um, we've taken the approach that we want to make our attribution as transparent as possible. So what we do is we, um, we open up a reasonably large window um, of 30 days attribution. So with the idea that if we've sent you an, imp an impression and we can correlate it with a purchase, we aren't saying we 100% made the sale, but we're saying we assisted in the sales funnel, yeah. right? So at some point you saw the, the ad, it was because of our advertisements. Um, we all know that there's many use cases where um, you know, you'll see a bunch of ads while you're just too busy doing something, like you're on yeah. an app or something like that and you're playing games. You're probably not gonna click right now. Yeah. But, you know, if you remember the name, you might search uh, into Google, you know, later and, and go ahead and make, make the purchase, right? So we use the techniques we talked about before to actually um, make the match. Yeah. Um, and we try to be as transparent about that in our dashboard as possible, where when you look at the transactions, you can actually um, read over, uh, hover over some of the identifiers, see what t techniques were used. Um, we give the uh, advertiser the ability to change and manipulate their own attribution window. Yeah. Like maybe you don't believe in 30 days 
maybe you only believe that um, we assisted with a purchase if they saw an impression and then they, they bought within five days. So yeah. we put that control into the advertiser's hands where they can, uh, they've got a little toggle, they can adjust it and they can change the attribution model to you know the model that makes sense for them and their business. Um, and as you certainly know, Guillermo, in the yeah. space of marketing, depending on what you're selling, yeah. um, the, 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 the sales funnel like is, is so different, right? Like if you're oh, yeah. trying to sell somebody a car or a home, like <laughs> you can advertise to them for years and, oh, yeah. and it probably all had meaning, you know, especially if they wind up doing business with you. Other, you know, other things you purchase, um, you know, have different windows of, 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 of time that people believe in and, and, and stuff like that. So that's what we've decided to do is just give you all the information we can uh, give you the deepest insight into the user journey possible, let you make your own decisions. And I think our customer retention rate has proven yeah. that people are very happy with the results um, that they're experiencing through their ads. I think most, uh, most of our clients really find it refreshing, yeah. the transparent approach to attribution that we're taking. I mean, ad tech, I mean, we're in it, but yeah. over time, I mean, it's, Got, got, got a really long history of bad actors, you know, yeah. um, just in the space from click fraud to ad fraud to this to that. Um, and that's, I would say, the biggest way we're trying to be different with our technology is to just give you the full picture. Yeah. And then you can you can decide. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Transparency is key. And, you know, uh, some of the basic marketing one on one kind of uh methodologies like marketing rule seven which is really old which means you know someone needs to see your ad or your brand seven times before they'll consider making a purchase it's it's something that's well known in the marketing space and it's probably far higher than seven now <laughs> since uh, there's so many we're in this uh we're in this uh <laughs> attention economy right so you have all these different companies trying to compete over your time uh so it's it's really uh you know when i when i think of let's say you know programmatic display advertising it's you know you're driving through a freeway and you're it's really like a mobile billboard right like you're you're driving you see this brand you see this other brand but you can't just get on your phone and look them up and and find them maybe you can ask siri if you you know if uh if it's uh works that well but uh, in general, like you're not going to stop what you're doing and take action right away. So it's, it's you know, we've seen that, uh, you know, when you're running a, program, a, a display campaign, we'll see an uptick in brand searches in organic search through Google, right? So, hey, we saw media gel on this, uh, you know, I was playing Sudoku or I was, uh, you know, I was looking at some memes online on 9Gag and saw Media Gel. And then, you know, a couple of days later, I did a search on Google, found them. And, you know, it's uh, it's really uh, supporting that sale, right? It's supporting that that interest and really uh, staying top of mind. And this is something that we, uh, you know, we, we really emphasize with our partners is that, uh, you know, even though you've, you know, even with the existing clients, like even though you've won that client and they made a purchase with you once, you know, you're in, let's say, San Francisco or, or Boston, you know, there's 30 other dispensaries around or brands and you're always going to be competing for, to, to keep to keep that business. So remarketing and, and, and following that user around and ensuring that you're top of mind is 
is a huge priority and it's it's one of those key components of a you know, of a marketing funnel like it's it can be used for customer acquisition but it also can be used for customer retention so you know you really need to to balance that and and what those goals are for your business <clears throat> And, 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 you know, that's one of the things that you touched on, Guillermo, that I think that um, sometimes marketers miss is that yeah. um, depending on where you sit in the funnel, people are going to pitch you a different attribution model, right? Um, and one size fits all doesn't necessarily make sense. Truthfully, all of the channels help, yeah. right? Um, and you may not buy, say, all of the channels from us, or you may not buy all of the channels from Facebook, but... Um, that is kind of where we're trying to go with our future is to give you that real insight of how they're all working together um, and give you the most complete picture that, that we can possibly give. Um, and that's, I wouldn't say that's something we have today, but that is absolutely our mission. Um, and, and what we're in pursuit of is, is the richest insight that we can give cross channel. Right. Um, and like, and you know, there's little things that you can just kind of, think about and make up your own mind as to what makes sense, right? Is that the, the last click model is very successful. Yeah. It's very successful, especially if you own a search engine. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, which we don't own, right? Yeah. Um, and there's, in my opinion, and like I said, I'm not trying to kick off a complete philosophical debate. Like that's part of the approach is that you know, our customers can decide these things for ourselves. But um, if you have like some strange name in your brand, you know, like Kiva chocolate or something like that, um, and nobody's ever heard of Kiva before, and all of a sudden, like you said, a bunch of ads go on out that we've served um, for, for our customer, and all of a sudden, Kiva starts being typed into Google and Bing and all the search engines all day long. Well, those ads help facilitate those searches. Right, and there's a good chance that they'll get last click because that'll happen. You saw the ad, you typed it in, you know, and you get last click. Um, but it doesn't mean we didn't help. It doesn't mean we weren't part of the journey. Um, and then of course the the converse of that is, well, what if you typed in, you know, cannabis chocolate near me, and yeah. then you know the search engine directed you to a store or you know, a brand like Kiva. Well, that's a little different. I would argue that they contributed greatly in the conversion of that. And you know, I mean, I would say that they had much more influence than, than the ads in, in that case, because they actually guided you right through the funnel, through the search engine, right? But there's so many situations like that that are also different. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, sometimes what we forget is to look at the big picture you know, yeah. and not just commit to one model, think it's a one size fits all model because yeah. I don't believe that really exists. I think that different products and different um, situations, like the journey happens quite a lot different depending on what it is, right? So. Yeah, rising tide lifts all boats, right? That's uh, one of the, the common phrases we use. And uh, yeah, there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely a lot to it. And yeah, it's... Yeah, what's the platform that uh, can you can always look at like a Google Trends, you know, if like uh, for example Jeter, like the, the pre-rolls, they got a lot of popularity and they probably ran, ran a ton of campaigns or like uh, can like those cannabis drinks, 
but they've made some massive pushes to to really get their brand out there. Wanna brands as well, like they do a great job of really getting this exposure. And if you go on, let's say at Google Trends and you search for that brand name, you can see the progression and, and demand uh, for searches on in Google from that. So um, it's all public information there and it's, you know, it's ready for you to, um, for you to leverage. And there's also, um, you know, like third-party data platforms like Headset where it shows you kind of uh, product sale trends by, by different brands and categories, right? So it's, it's a lot of information out there that you can use to can evaluate the uh, success of a, of a campaign and really getting a market penetration with your brand. Then uh, some of, you know, just to touch on some of the KPIs that, uh, you know, some of our advertisers are looking at, it's, you know, the, the way I like to talk about cannabis companies in general is, especially, you know, retailers and delivery services, that they're e-commerce companies, you know, that upwards of, 50 to 80% of their sales are coming from online pre-orders and, you know, COVID really forced consumers to use e-commerce as their primary method of engaging with the, with the retailer because they had to, you know, if they were doing delivery or curbside pickup, everyone wanted to be safe. So, you know, it's uh, really uh, pushed this industry forward as far as the e-commerce and, you know, some, some advertisers I know in, in, metropolitan areas they're they're seeing upwards of like 80 percent of their revenue is coming from e-commerce orders and it's it's incredible to see to see that progress and you really have to take take that into account when you're running this business like you need to ensure your product catalog your pictures your descriptions uh the checkout process and everything is is as streamlined as possible because you know, we're, we're investing all this money to, to get you that at that, you know, to, to get that interest and get someone to visit your website. But if you don't make that checkout process easy, then, you know, people aren't going to buy. So, you know, really taking that into account. So e-commerce sales is in revenue transactions, uh, new customers. Those are all important uh, KPIs that our advertisers are looking at. And um, also walk-ins, right? So, you know, we can show these ads and, you know, not all the transactions are going to go through the e-commerce platform. So that other 20 to 50%, depending on the store, those are all people still want that experience uh, when they come to dispensary. They want to talk to the butt tenders. They want to maybe participate in an event. So uh, tracking those walk-ins of, you know, we've seen, um, you know, uh, ABC dispensary. They keep seeing that on these, you know, on the on these ads, and they decided they they want to make you know, come in on come in on a Thursday night and re up on their on their cannabis. So um, we're also tracking walk ins and data. Is there maybe uh, if you want to share a little bit of information on like geofencing and kind of like what that is and and how that's used in uh, this attribution model? That'd be helpful. Yeah, and that's a, a completely different technique than what yeah. we're doing with the event-driven data that we're yeah. collecting. And that is deterministic by nature. Yeah. Um, and once again, it has pros and cons. There's a reason why we do the event-driven stuff and don't just rely on the walk-ins, but it is where we started. So uh, one of the earlier attribution solutions that MediaGel um, was able to provide to customers is the idea of as you mentioned, tracking walk-ins. Well, what does that mean? How do you track the, the walk-ins? Um, so, so the idea is that uh, all of our DSP partners will give us, um, will forward, you know, if uh, the user has allowed it, 
they'll forward device IDs um, to us. So we know the device ID associated with the impression. Um, we have another partner that their job is really to house um, geospatial data, um, like SDK-based geospatial data. So they have uh, a really large, rich data set of just device IDs um, combined with the latitude and longitude that they were observed at, right? So to make this deterministic match is, for us, it's as simple as taking the device ID um, made or IDFA or whatever we got from the impression and taking a window of time um, from our partner that has the SDK data, um, looking at all of the observations that were seen and seeing if they wound up in the polygon or geofence that we actually drew around the retail location, right? If we see them in there, absolutely, they visited. Um, you know, I mean, or they almost visited, they at least came to the parking lot or walked through the door, um, you know, or, 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 or something, right? Um, well, and, and this is cool, um, but there's once again, um, limitations and drawbacks to it. What's not cool about it is we, we, we just don't get enough. Like we've estimated that we maybe get 10%, um, and that's quite optimistic of actual walk-ins tracked. And it's because that um, to get that SDK data, you, you have to be doing something. Like you either have to have turned on location tracking on your phone, you have to be using an app. Um, maybe you're talking on the phone right before you go into a retail location. And in those situations, it works quite well. Um, but that's not always the case, right? Um, of course, right? Um, and then the other thing that I would say is, a con about it is that you can get false positives doing this. Like it doesn't take too big of a polygon um, to, to, to be drawn a little bit wrong. Like maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe you're on a very busy street, downtown New York and intersecting oh, yes. the sidewalk, right? Like it's going to give you hundreds of thousands of false positive signals of people just, just walking by. Right. Yep. So once again, that's a technique that we put into our customers' hands you know, we'll work with our AdOps team, but you can help define what do you think the polygon is. Um, and then to have precise information where you actually zoom in on a map and draw like, you know, a polygon around the location, maybe the neighboring parking lot um, is, is labor intensive, right? It means that somebody has to actually go and draw all of those polygons to, to make it happen. So that's cool. For small, for you know, uh, places with you know a few locations, but if a store has like you know a thousand locations, there was a time a few years ago that we had some customers that had upwards of thirty thousand locations. Um, this is very difficult to manage, scale, and, oh, yeah. and, and keep it. So there's other solutions there. You do a point and radius, but once again, now that we've done a point and radius, you've lost some precision. The chance of you getting a street or a sidewalk or something like that, of course, has has gone up, um, and although it's a deterministic match, it's hard to not argue that the results are somewhat probabilistic because of the false positives that can, you know, accidentally walk into your geofence or 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 location, right? Um, yeah. Other situations where a company is kind of more not rural but uh, not in a high density area, mm -hmm. what well, works really well. Right. And there's hardly any false positives. Like, you know, I mean, if 
there's no business to be in that parking lot without going to the retail location. Well, that's great, right? Yeah. So, and so once again, it's a case by case situation. For some retail locations, it works better th than others. Um, but we have learned from our customers that um, not all of them, but most of them are far more interested in seeing dollars on the cart oh, yeah. than, they are, than they are wallets. So, sure. and that's why our focus has been so much on the event driven data that we capture from the cart. Yeah, shout out to Tom Cruise, right? Show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that's key, especially you know right now. Like we we uh, everything that the that brands and retailers do on the marketing front needs to be intentional. It needs to drive revenue, and you know as marketing budgets are tightened, like it, you need to be able to show attribution more now than ever. So um, you know, as a marketer, if you're if you're watching this, that should be step one. That should be in your foundation of when you set up a website. Get, Get your uh, analytics and, and tracking in place, whether you're using like Google Analytics or using a third-party platform or running uh, display ads to ourselves, you know, through MediaGel, then, you know, we have that uh, attribution already kind of set up for you out the box. So these are all things to, to prioritize uh, when, run, when running marketing campaigns. <clears throat> so you can really see, you know, the return on investment and, and return on ad spend uh, for every single marketing channel that you're leveraging uh, with precision. All right, so. Um, yeah, for us, Guillermo, internally in engineering, like one of the things that is always a constant pursuit, right, is accuracy, auditing what we're doing, trying yeah. to make sure that uh, watching for fraud, you know, trying to get rid of publishers that like, uh, you know, that's another thing we do like quite uh, proactively. We monitor all of the data coming in. We write blacklists and, you know, exclusion yeah. lists and inclusion lists with the DSPs to try to, filter out fraud but the that and in that situation there's nothing better than the purchase right yeah. there's nothing harder to spoof than the actual exchange of money right like it's not like clicks where you can just make some bot that'll make a thousand clicks or something like yeah. that i mean i suppose if somebody wants to put in a hundred fake orders that they actually pay for i mean who cares they they still gave gave the money right um but yeah. so for for us, when it comes time to like audit our, our techniques and our product, being so close to the purchase is, is huge because um, it, it really, uh, the, the, the noise comes down a lot yeah. with the, the other things going on in the business, right? So. Exactly. I know we talked a lot about this already, but is there anything else you'd like to add on, you know, how MediaGel uses identity graphs in our, in our programmatic advertising technology? I mean, we could get into the weeds if you want, but really the two use cases are attribution and targeting. And we use, and we use it for both. Awesome. Awesome. Then, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about, uh, I mean, this whole session has been on data and, and identity graphs. You know, uh, you know, how do we, like on our side, on the technology side, how do we maintain consumer security with all of this data that we're gathering? Uh, well, to maintain consumer security, the, you have to um, deal with the data in a very compliant and very uh, specific way. One of the things at MediaGel that we don't do is we don't house any PII. Um, we don't have, you know, uh, phone What numbers. is PII you know, for our audience? Just to make sure. <laughs> good, good question. Um, <laughs> PII is, is the data that uh, it, it's called personal identification, uh, identification identifiers. Yeah, yeah, identify. Yeah. yeah. 
but it's your personal information, right? So it's anything that um, could actually be tied back to you personally, right? So your name, your address, your email, all of those things. Phone number, and, and, yeah. Yeah, that. phone number. And, and all of those things are, are what the whole, you know, um, you have to be a good steward of PII. That, that whole topic is all about protecting that data and not letting that data get out, right? Um, so we don't house it. We don't really have first party data. We'll, we'll likely move into that in the future, but we'll do it in a you know, compliant way, of course. But right now, we don't really have that concern about having PII get leaked. You know what I mean? Like if we were to be hacked, there's not really that data to, to, to get. Um, so we have um, some identifiers that could be argued as PII, um, things like device IDs, but we would never give those um, IDs to customers. You know, like you'd never be allowed to like pull those identifiers to use on your own. Uh, how that works is that, um, you know, when we find them, they go into the DSP directly to be targeted in their eco ecosystem. And there's not really anything personal that is tied together at that level. It's just an ID and you, you don't know anything um, about the person. Cookie, the same thing. It's just an ID. Um, there's not really anything about the, the person. Um, our future, uh, we are moving into a world where we're trying to have better um, results more insight and um, more, you know, just, uh, and, and so the, the integrations we're in pursuit of is to become closer to the actual POS experience itself, which is one of the larger blind spots our company has. Like we can track data that comes off the online cart. We can track the walk-ins. Those people that actually walk into the store and buy with a different POS system, we really have no insight into at all. And we know that we're helping with those yeah. sorts of sales, right? So. Um, it's something we've been aggressively trying to solve, working with different companies to see if we can get to a place where we can have that data. Um, and likely what we'll use is the email, um, which is PII, but we won't ever bring in the actual email. We will have the yeah. email hashed in, a, in either MD5 or SHA-256. Um, if anybody knows a little bit about hashing, the, the key is, is that it's not it's not cryptography like a cipher where you have a key and you can decode the information. It's like a one-way hashing trip. So if you've never seen the real email, you can never get it back yeah. from, 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 from the hash, right? So, um, but the customer that does have the, the real email, like the retail uh, client itself that has the PII, yeah. um, they are able to uh, verify that if we say, you know, we got this hashed email, we think it's a match to something they'll be able to verify that on it on their end with the PII that they, you know, that they've gotten uh, in an ethical way. Like people signed up willingly, they made a purchase, they accepted the agreements and things like that um, yeah. and all those things. Right. And then the other compliance stuff um, probably run out of time to get into all of yeah, that. Yeah. There's, there's a ton of stuff you have to do with data. Like you have to, um, when you're collecting data like this, you need to respect something called the do not track header. Yeah. If somebody turned on do not track on their browser, we discard those logs as they come on right. in. We have an opt-outs pipeline. So if somebody wants to you know, opt out of our uh, ability to advertise, we yeah. collect a certain amount of identifiers to opt out. Um, and uh, there are several other things we do to maintain compliance. But probably um, the more advanced things are probably coming in the future for us yeah. um, because I think we do want to get... Um, closer to the uh, cart to the POS data 
Mm -hmm. uh, we do want to have m deeper insight and that will involve housing some amount of PII at some point and we'll have to go through the challenges of being good stewards of that information like we have been uh, with the information we keep already. <laughs> well, thank you, Dana. That was a breath of information. Uh, I'm I learned a lot on this uh, on this session, and thank you for all your insights and knowledge into into everything on the on the programmatic display side and identity graphs and data and, and really everything that you do. And has uh, any uh, last words that you'd like to share with our audience before we uh, log off today? <clears throat> uh, I don't know if I have anything uh, to add. Um, thank you so much, Guillermo, for having me. Um, I enjoyed being on the call, um, and. Uh, I uh, look forward to maybe the next one. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you everyone again for, for joining us today. Once again, Media Gel, we are a cannabis marketing platform. We uh, you know, leverage paid search, SEO, and display uh, advertising to really support e-commerce sales for our clients, for our retailers, our brands, and, and beyond. So um, thank you for joining us today. And you can always check us out at MediaGel.com. You can log on there and and attend some of our other webinars, podcasts, and uh, if you'd like to set up a call, um, just go to the contact us in the top right of the website and we'd be happy to chat. All right, have a wonderful day. Cheers.